Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour or so, we'll be talking project management, change management, diversity, and a whole bunch of topics with our special guest. Before we jump into the show, I uh, just want to say congratulations to all the graduating seniors that are out there. Graduation season is upon us, and it was another tough year for uh, those high schoolers and college graduates to have to deal with a pandemic during the middle of their, maybe their their most important, one of the most important years of their lives. Uh, My oldest son, Josh, graduates on next Wednesday as his ceremony. And he'll be headed to the Navy. So super excited to have him go out and serve our country and work hard to get that high school graduation for all of them. I also want to say thank you to the PMI Central Mississippi chapter. I had the opportunity to speak to their organization earlier this week. And uh, we had a lot of fun talking about the similarities and lessons we can learn about project management for making pizza. So it was a nice, lighthearted lunchtime conversation about one of all of our favorite foods. And pizza certainly is fun, and so can be project management. Also want to thank our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. A reminder for everyone to be able to go out to Project Management Office Hours, our show website, to be able to see all of our upcoming episodes and listen to all of our prior episodes and learn about all the amazing guests we've had on with us over the years. So that's it for our announcements today. I am super excited to have with us Alana Hill. Welcome, Alana. Thanks, Joe. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Our pleasure. If you could just take a minute and say hello to all the listeners out there and tell them a little bit about uh, yourself to everyone. Hey, everybody, or hey, (laughs) y'all, as we say here in Texas. So uh, this is Alana Hill tuning in, chiming in from uh, just southwest of Houston, Texas. I'm in Richmond, and I have to echo your sentiment uh, for the graduating seniors. This is is an exciting time for them, but incredibly challenging. And I, too, have a graduating senior a week behind or two weeks behind yours. So June 4th is our big day here. I mean, yes, they're they're starting off with some immense challenges. And interestingly enough, my my son that's graduating is my youngest of four boys. So I often, when I introduce myself in a project management workshop, I say, "Well, I'm you know I'm an engineer and project manager turned IT professional. Um, and in addition to that, I'm also the mom of four boys. So I often jest about how much of my project management experience came from getting <laughs> four boys and a husband to church on time, um, <laughs> and how applicable those uh, those those negotiations and planning skills are uh, just for even some of the some household endeavors. 
But in addition to that, you know, it's really been about I've, I've just dedicated my my life and my career because I'm a very purpose purpose driven woman. I, so I've dedicated my life and career to helping others succeed and achieve their goals, um, and really, really passionate about about helping shape the future of the workplace. Um, I've had the privilege of traveling the world and um, interacting firsthand with with various world cultures and have an appreciation for world cultures and um, knowing how important that is for us as project leaders to be able to bring out the best in all of the members of our team. So really passionate about that and really happy to be here. And giggle, I have to mention I'm an Aggie for my other (laughs) Texas Aggies that are listening. (laughs) Just with your introduction, I I get to learn more things that we have in common with you mentioned you're purpose-driven and with the PMO squad, our signature product is the purpose-driven PMO, right? So we talk about building PMOs that start with purpose. Uh, so we have that in common. We both have four kids, three three boys for me as opposed to four. One girl, who's, of course, the special one. And, uh, and then I spent some years in Houston as well. It was not the most fun years of my... It was so hot and humid there. I, I was going to say, was it in the summer? But yes. then again, you're in Tempe. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I was just having a conversation with someone about the summer in Phoenix. I was attempting to go in June. Didn't work out with my calendar, but we laughed about how I'm not really missing anything. And I'm, I still remember being in Phoenix in June, like 20 years ago, and I've not recovered emotionally. Yes, it's, it's hot here. I, I remember my first day of work in Houston was on August 17th, and we had to wear ties to the office, a suit and tie. I come out of the apartment, I'm, I've got everything on, and by the time I got to the car, I was like, I think I need to change, right? It was, <laughs> I was already sweating so much, it was miserable. But yeah, Phoenix is hot, just not as humid, uh, so we've got <laughs> that. So excited to have you on and talk about a whole host of topics, right? The first one you mentioned again in your intro is engineer slash project manager. So often we think of project managers in the IT world, but that's not your space, right, within the PM world, right? And you have got this engineering background. Tell us a little bit how you become engineer and project manager. How does that all work? You know, it's it's funny. My space, um, really, from the from the from early on in my career, I've I've been a unicorn, and so I've I've gotten used to to being this anomaly that, um, quite frankly, HR and my managers weren't quite sure what to do with. Um, so, yeah, so I have an engineering degree, an engineering background. I started in energy and oil and gas. So I'm an oil and gas OG, an O and G OG. It's my hashtag. <laughs> and so, you know, so there was a lot of logistics and entering problem solving that goes on in fracking the well. I started my career fracking well, working well site, but my primary goal or my primary um, job duty uh, as an engineer on location was to was to be responsible for the technology. So we, and, and it's so funny when I think back to this is almost 30 years ago, shh, um, we had this, this panel set up and it looked very futuristic for the time. It's very like today, right? We had flat screen panels and, and the pressure and temperature and volume and all of these things were happening in real time. And the clients were in such awe of what was going on. And it was my job to explain to them what was happening from an engineering technical perspective. So there was always this need and well, this need to leverage technology. To, in this case, to leverage technology, because no matter how hard you try, you can't really climb a mile beneath the Earth's surface. We really needed technology to tell us what was happening and to 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 give us, you know, using algorithms to define what might be happening and all these other things. So that was my 
first job. And then that, you know, there's really the love of, of, um, of IT, uh, just really, it, well, it bit me in college. And so I was, I've always been a technologist with an engineering background. So it's, mm. it's always been this odd mixture. Um, and as a result, I did a lot of, uh, operations and, um, engineering facing IT projects. So projects that would either capture data at the well site, you know, therefore being part of the digital transformation early on in the energy industry, um, you know, replacing notebooks with, with, laptop notebooks. I mean, that's, that was kind of my claim to fame and, and it was on the bleeding edge of technology. And I self-studied Microsoft SQL server and, and all of these other technical skills so that I could, as a, as a PM leader, um, be proficient enough. And in some cases have enough expertise to be able to lead a project of that nature. And um, and then, of course, just really drawing off of the team leadership that was really the cornerstone of that type of environment. I mean, I, you can't frack a well by yourself, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> right. So you roll out there with about, you know, 15 of your closest friends and lots of expensive equipment. And so it's that project leadership that starts from the very get go, um, just in a very hot, dirty environment. So you'll get no sympathy from me about hot. Yeah. What hot is, is being in the middle of South Texas in the summer in pretty much what firefighters wear. Oh boy. That's hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Count me out of that one. Don't yeah. want to be in that. So that's, you, you mentioned, uh, it couldn't have been 30 years ago because you're not old enough to have it been 30 years ago. Right. Uh, but, okay. but the, <laughs> but that's a lot of evolution in, in our industry, right. From then to now, what, What's something you, now that you have experience, that you wish you knew um, when you were first leading projects that now you do know? Well, for <laughs> that you don't have to know it all. That was a really fun lesson, I think, to go through because it it just, it, it screamed in the face of everything I learned as an engineer and everything I learned as the engineer on location. You needed to know it all. Um, and you needed to pride yourself in knowing it all. And here I stand before you as a recovering know-it-all and realized that once I put myself into recovery, that I became a much better project leader. I became a much better leader in general. I've relied on the expertise of those around me. I collaborated more. I, um, I valued people's input more. I wasn't always right. Now, mind you, I'm not wrong often. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> but I do value um, and seek out the input of others. And it's really not just about, okay, yes, I'll, I'll let you put in your two cents. It's about intentionally seeking out someone else's expertise, perspective, values, and just using that to create a much better solution than I could have come up with on my own. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that lately, right? The project leadership versus project management, right? Mm -hmm. And, and leadership knowing that we're leading a team probably of experts that may be more qualified than we are on the, the project that's at hand. So if you don't leverage them, you, you miss out on all the great uh, skills and techniques and experience, of course, that they bring to the project. So it's great to hear you you mention all of that. And, and I, I'm seeing the same thing, right? And uh, I think our industry is getting better where we start focusing more on those people skills, the leadership skills, yeah. and not as much on on the technical things. The other thing that, that stood out to me as you were telling that story is I would imagine there weren't many other women project managers in the oil and gas industry. It, it seems like a male-dominated industry. 
It is, which which I still think is funny that God gave me four boys. I'm like, so you just want me surrounded by men <laughs> all the time, my entire life. Um, <laughs> but I am my my, Insta, my I am hashtag the queen to the hill. So I, I I enjoy my queendom in that. But no, absolutely. I mean, when I started going to PMI meetings in um, in Houston, you know, which is which is dominated by the oil and gas industry, but also you know, we've got healthcare, technology, etc. There were very few women even in the room. I mean, this was the citywide conference, if you will. And I would I would look around and I would just go, wow. Now, mind you, this wasn't 30 years ago. 30 years ago was when I first arrived at a well site. This might have uh, probably about two, circa 2002-ish. Hmm. So I watched the industry evolve and, and wanted to be um, a change agent and part of that evolution um, of, of from a representation standpoint of as soon as I was able to uh, connect and be able to speak at, at um, PMI meetings, at PMI conferences, uh, so that um, other women and women of color project managers would see themselves in the person that was teaching them about project management or the person that was speaking on leadership or about business and strategic skills. Um, and so going back the, the last time we could go in person, I was so pleased to look around the room and see the change and the evolution and the growth. Um, as a matter of fact, PMI Houston chapter had an African-American woman as their president last year. Um, and so just even seeing not just other um, African-American women uh, project managers, but also seeing uh, stepping into different leadership roles and, you know, and mentoring and encouraging one another. And, um, and, and of course, being very connected and collaborative with our white male counterparts. Um, one of my favorite and most um, requested programs is Leading the Rainbow, where I talk about the business case for diversity and inclusion and how we as leaders can um, incorporate that into everything that we do. We have to weave it into the fabric of who we are. It's not a side dish. And, um, and in that, I always make the point because I want people to be uncomfortable enough to know because that's where change happens, but comfortable enough to know that it's just me talking to you. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I tell them is that diversity is not the absence of white men. And it's amazing to me, the relief that comes over people's faces in a room. Because one thing that I, I, I know that even as I speak and I want my voice to be heard and I want my experience to be heard, I refuse to stop listening. And as I listen, I still hear some of the realistic and unrealistic concerns about what these changes might mean in the workplace and what they might mean um, in hiring or in academia and things like that. So I don't like to discount other people's perspectives because that would be hypocritical. I don't want anyone to discount mine. And I'm with you on that. And if you can share again the 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 work at the rainbow, something you had mentioned, what was that again? <laughs> yeah, leading the rainbow. So leading the rainbow, ensuring success through diversity and inclusion. It's one of my flagship um, keynote programs, and I delivered as a workshop as well. Um, and as a full-on, you know, uh, training program, just, you know, looking at different modalities of, of delivering the content of the importance of diversity and inclusion for leaders. DNI is not just the responsibility of HR. It's not the responsibility, or it's not solely the responsibility responsibility of policymakers within our organization. It's the responsibility of every single leader, regardless of your color, gender, background. We're all responsible for promoting and creating an inclusive workplace. And that starts with ourselves and that starts with our teams and being the team that everybody wants to be part of. 
So how does that, because I, I agree with you completely, and, and I've been fortunate to have several great mentors in my life that helped me understand that. I, you know, I'm a, a white guy that grew up in upstate New York where there was only one black family in our high school and didn't have the exposure really till I got to college, right, to, to diverse conversations. Um, and now, completely comfortable with it and, you know, live in a, a more diverse world. But as we've learned over the past year, we're certainly not where we need to be, how do, how do we take those lessons that we've learned, right, to see a, a Houston chapter now have a black female president and translate that into project outcomes, right? How do we take the progress that individuals are making or within organizations that we're making and then bring them actually to the project level, right, to be able to see that diversity is not also important for the organization, but also for a project? You know, one is, you know, one of our one of our project management tenants that I, I coined the phrase from Stephen Covey, and that's begin with the end in mind. So when we know what the desired outcome is, when we know that we want a chapter that represents our, our, our city and the industries that we serve, if we want our team to look like the industry and the cities that we serve, then we intentionally set out to do that because here's the reality. If we don't intentionally set out for that, then we will intentionally <laughs> create a monolith. We will intentionally create a a homogeneous environment. I told you I, I, I spent the most the majority of my career in oil and gas, and it was always amazing to me how many white male dominated spaces that I saw, and realizing that those didn't happen by accident, and that there was intentionality behind the creation and the main and the maintenance of that kind of environment. Just as we have to be intentional about the blending of those environments. And so it's really important because, um, you know, there have been global shifts and, and the workforce doesn't look like it used to. And so to try to create a moat around your team or around your organization is not serving, is not going to serve well. Yeah. And, and a moment ago, you had talked about being, becoming comfortable, being uncomfortable talking about this. And, and uh, prior to the show, I had mentioned that I had just seen a LinkedIn live video that Dana Brownlee and Ruth Pierce had put together on a conversation about that, right? Becoming comfortable, being uncomfortable, talking about race and how that matters to all of us, especially here in the States. And we've had a, you know, a lot of stuff with George Floyd and, and others going on around the country this year. I'll always be a white man, right? That's never going to change. But my perspective has to be inclusive or should be inclusive of everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, in the spirit of being comfortable, being uncomfortable, right, what are some of the things that we uh, should be aware of to make sure that we can have a good open discourse and a conversation about this? One that, you know, more often than not, and, and you and I were kind of talking about this a little bit in the green room, when I enter a room, a Black woman enters a room. And so to deny or discount or even try to pretend like don't see that is um, is a fool's errand, right? So it's 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 trying it's getting away from the dismissal or even the denial of people's racial identities um, because here's the reality: we take those with us everywhere we go. If I walk into Walmart, I walk in as a black woman. If I walk into my team, I walk in as a black woman. If I walk into an executive boardroom to give a presentation, I do so as a black woman. And so it's it's honoring, accepting, and appreciating that just up front, right? And so that becomes, I think, a really big part and just really giving people space um, to, to be representative of who they're representative of. 
we'd also mentioned about the importance of exposure. I mean, you said you lived in an environment where there weren't those opportunities. Um, I always challenge my clients to think about who they've who they've dined with, who they've socialized with. And if they stop and realize that you know, when you pull out your iPhone, is your, is your contact list, do they all just look, walk, talk, and act like you? If so, you have intentionally tried to put yourself into a homogeneous environment, and that's not reality. And so the more, the more intentional we are about um, forming relationships outside of our own identity, the more we do to advance the cause of everyone, because that's the thing about it. It's the cause of everyone. And um, so it's just really seeking out those opportunities. And and one of the, um, I, I, I hesitate to say that, oh, there are advantages to COVID. I won't. But there are advantages that we've seen to being in a virtual environment. And that is that we can connect with people in varying places much more easily. You know, so some of the barriers have been have been um, taken down and organizations that are looking to uh, or teams that need to diversify um, can do so even in the absence of local diversity. I was working with a client. and They were like, well, we want to be more diverse. But I mean, we literally throw stones in every direction and there's there's no diversity. Well, virtual teams, it's one way to do that and can bring in more perspectives onto your team. And I think the, for my own personal experience, willingness is such an important concept, right? It's, mm-hmm. again, it, it not only, it, you know, I was white suburbia right there. There there was zero diversity. And I'm married to a Jewish woman and she has a gay brother. And uh, we have black next door neighbors and our neighborhood's full of Indians. It, I mean, I am now surrounded by diversity because it's the willingness to accept that we evolve as people from the time we're 12 to the time we're 50. And if we're not accepting of that evolution, we'll always live in that same little circle that we grew up in, right? Absolutely. And, and we've limited ourselves, right, to to those experiences. I've learned so much about people from the exposure and willingness to accept others than we do from just circling them all off, right? You mentioned growing down your contact list. If they all look the same, well, then how are we growing, right? How are we... As people, how are we experiencing true life, right? And to be able to see what's going on. Um, we had a, a show with the Lee Stevens on, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago oh, now. And and it was the same similar conversation, but about just women in general, right? I, and some of the guests, we had three guests on that day, all women. Uh, and they were talking about imposter syndrome. And they have to think about how they're going to dress every morning before they go to work. And and, and as a white man sitting there listening to that conversation, I never thought about what I was going to wear to work. Uh, and it was that sort of exposure and thinking that I think all of us listening have to understand that there's lessons that we can learn regardless of our age by the experiences that we put ourselves into. Mm-hmm. So certainly thank you for for sharing some of your perspective on that. And I wish we could spend the whole hour talking about this. And uh, Dana has been a, a former guest on my show. Maybe we'll we'll have uh, another show that we can bring in and maybe have a more rich conversation on it as opposed to just one topic during the show. <laughs> so again, you've, you've had fantastic experience, right? As a, an employee, as a, a consultant, as somebody that now engages teams. So you've seen trends over the years, right? Here's what's happening in our industry. Here's what's happening out there. What are some of those trends you're seeing now? What, what's happening out there? Well, one, we're definitely, and 
I'd say we're seeing or have been seeing, and this is probably a maturation of, you know, of the adoption of agile practices and and looking at uh, the hybrid nature of things or even things like disciplined agile. Um, So we're really seeing, it's funny for somebody, um, and and yes, it wasn't 30 years ago, I was in college 30 years ago, but it's been, you know, a couple of decades. But even just when I look at the evolution of project management and the PMBOK and how it's changed and grown um, from this, okay, here's our project plan. It's set in stone. When was the last time you heard someone say it's set in stone? Mm. It's not set in stone anymore. As a matter of fact, it's just as malleable as, I mean, of course there's, there's discipline to it, but certainly the evolution that we've seen is in the adaptive nature of projects, which is, you know, us realizing that there's change on top of change. And, um, you know, because of just the rapid nature of change, I'd say certainly the past 15 years, um, you know, whereas, whereas, as I mentioned before, uh, leading a project where I had to take, you know, notebooks and replace them with notebook laptops, right? Call them notebooks. Um, and, and just, you know, the disruption that that created. Well, now we're used to disruption. I mean, as a matter of fact, we haven't had disruption in about a year. We're like, where's the disruption? <laughs> <laughs> things are still the same, you know, and, and us with high schoolers, right. They, they, they kind of expect that weekly. So, <laughs> so yes, yeah, certainly seeing a, a more rapid nature of change. And as a result, we've had to know how to still manage that very carefully so that we can accommodate those changes, but still keep the high quality and the consistency that we are known for as project leaders, because we can't lose that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, obviously the the adoption of the agile practices is there, and and I think it's and maybe I'm wrong, but I'd certainly love to get your opinion on this. Right, as an industry, we've not done a good job being successful at delivering projects historically. Right, the numbers are mm-hmm. you know, between fifty and sixty percent, depending on what study you want to look at. So we knew the old way wasn't working, right? We got to find a new way to be able to do this. So the evolution towards agile, I think, is really a movement of how to become more successful. Mm-hmm. And so let's try some new techniques to see if there's a way to be able to improve our success rates. Like, what's the drive to agile, right? What's the underlying movement in that direction? The fast the fast rate of change. I mean, when you talk about, you know, embarking on a project and, you know, it's a two-year project and this is what we're going to do. If now things have changed around you and you're still holding on to this plan for two years, it it, it became obsolete the minute we printed it and stuck on it on our wall, right? That's one of my favorite old jokes. And they go, oh my God, you used to print stuff and stick it on a wall? (laughs) Yeah. And oh, on a dot matrix printer to make it even more exciting, right? So there was this static nature of the work that was to be done, which is still relevant in certain industry. I mean, you cannot build a house and and go, oh, well, we're just going to change the foundation on the fly, right? So there are places for that. Um, but but to me, I see the evolution of project management as an exercise in appreciating diversity of thought. Um, so because here we are, here we were insisting that there was one, okay, maybe two ways to arrive at this conclusion. And then we realized, no, there are more and they're actually quite numerous. And um, I always make the reference to, to my to my classes that, you know, project management is, is a lot more like going to Luby's. Do you guys have Luby's in, in, in Arizona? No. Okay. No what's, what's the famous buffet that you have there? 
like the uh, Golden Corral. Golden. Oh, see, yeah. we have that here too. Okay, yeah. so all right, so we're gonna we're gonna go Golden Corral. Oh, <laughs> I love the rolls. Oh, yeah. So it's like going to Golden Corral, and you put on your tray what makes sense for you, and what's on the person next person's tray next to yours might not be what's on your tray. So just as we appreciate the individuality and the uniqueness of people on our teams and their leadership and their contributions, we see that the processes and procedures and the strategies that we use are different. And it's about coming up with the ones that are best in case for you, that are best suited for you, your projects, your size, your scope, your organization, and then making that work and not the other way around. And when I hear you talk about change, of course, you've coined and trademarked a, a phrase here, leading change the misengineer way, right? What yeah. Help me understand that. Right? There's a little personality involved there, obviously, but uh, <laughs> Just share, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, share, like, share that with us a little. Yeah, happily. I definitely like to let a little bit of myself shine through that. And, 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 and actually, so from a methodology standpoint, it is about shining that through. It's about balance. It's about having a critical eye and a compassionate spirit. And that's where I first got that from. And that's how that was first laid on my heart. And then I began to see how that works with helping people lead change in themselves with a critical eye and a compassionate spirit. I see that I want to improve and grow in this area, but here's the compassion that I need to give myself as I do it. Translate that to your team. Here's somebody on my team. I have a critical enough eye. I can sit down as I'm coaching them for performance and I can identify some areas of improvement. We don't like to say deficiencies. We can identify some areas of improvement. Engineers say deficiencies, right? So see, there's <laughs> we can see those areas for improvement, but it's the compassion, it's the empathy, it's the emotional intelligence that allows you to help lead and guide them towards that towards that growth. And so it's really about balancing EQ and IQ, being able to critically think, but also compassionately execute. Mm, I like that. Critically think and compassionately execute. I just came up with that. I'm writing that down. I was going to say, can I steal that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, you've, uh, you have a book uh, that ties into change as well, right? What's your catalyst, the power of managed change. Yes. And, in that book, what what's the message, right? Where you talked earlier about purpose, right? So what's the purpose of that book? The message is that change is happening all around us. But the most important change that we can all be responsible for and lead is the change in ourselves. And that starts with knowing what our purpose is. That starts with understanding who we are, because that is the root of our resilience. That is the, resu- the root of sustainable goals is when they're tied to an undeniable why. And so when we identify our undeniable why, when we understand our purpose, our passions, and our priorities, then we can create and establish a life plan for ourselves that is both strategic and adaptable. I love it. Yeah. The PMO squad, I mentioned, right, we have our purpose-driven PMO and our our company belief, our tagline, our purpose, right, is empowering people to deliver results. So it doesn't matter if it's an employee. It doesn't matter if it's a guest on the show. It doesn't matter if it's a client of ours, right? We want to empower them Mm -hmm. to deliver the results because that's our ultimate why, right? If we can't help people be successful, why are we in business? Absolutely. I mean, then we have to be able to drive that. So I love your thinking. Uh, It it aligns so closely with, with everything that we do within the PMO squad as well. Another question, again, I love to leverage people who have experience in our industry because it's evolved, right? I mean, we get to see that evolution over time. So how have you experienced the role of the PM evolving? I mean, where is it 
And not only where has it evolved to, but maybe where do you see it evolving to in the future as well? You know, I I really still see this evolving more and more to the role that my beloved track coach, his name was Coach Reed, and we're actually Facebook friends, which just tickles me. My husband's birthday was the other day, and I saw him like wishing my husband a happy birthday, and I'm like, I almost cried. I just (laughs) love that I'm still connected to this man. He was an amazing part of my life. But when I ran the 400, which I'm very proud of, I'm like the Al Bundy of track, okay? So when (laughs) when I ran the 400, Coach Reed didn't run with me. He didn't get on the track and run with me. He was in the infield calling out times, encouraging me, saying, go, Georgia, you know. And so we see the role of a project manager evolve, continuing to evolve because we, we certainly picked up a lot of that into that coach guide person who realizes that it's not their responsibility to create the product. It is not their responsibility to develop the result. It is their responsibility to nurture, guide, and drive those who are responsible for those outcomes. And so when we, again, that emphasis that you and I talked about, about leadership and about understanding the strategic and business um, purpose for a project, that's the role of a project manager or their primary focus. And of course, yes, they need technical project management skills to make a lot of that happen. But where the rubber really meets the road, how an indispensable project manager and leader happens is by getting the most out of their out of their team members. And I tell you, when Coach Reed said go, I mean, they're just, I mean, I I I just took off. And of course, you know, um, the first time, the first time I ran the 400, it was funny. I ran it too fast and he apologized at the end. He's like, I'm so sorry. I, I forgot to like coach you through, you know, how you, the strategy for that race. And so we had this whole conversation. And so we look at our PM leaders as the, as the strategic drivers, you know, kind of laying out what that strategy should be. And then watching it, making sure that it happens. Self-directed teams are not just from the Agile Manifesto. It is something that not only do do employees or team members want, it is something that the business has asked for and needs because you have more empowered and more engaged team members when you blow a whistle, when you call out a time, when you hold people accountable to what they've committed to, not dictating what they should do, hold them accountable to what they've committed to, then you create a team environment where people flourish. And that's what we have to continue to have going into as we continue on and evolve in the workforce. Yeah. And, and if we think self-directed teams outside of the agile discipline, right, the military mm-hmm. is full of self-driven uh, teams and they're not, there's no agile process that they've instituted right within the military. It's just their way of operating. It's the way of working. So certainly it, it can exist outside of the agile mindset as well. But you said, you said something, and I don't know if it was a slip or it was just a catch, but you said, run, Georgia, run. Who's Georgia? <laughs> <laughs> Who's Georgia? <laughs> so Georgia was, is, I say was, but is my nickname that okay. my, my coach gave me. And as a matter of fact, when I'd stretch, he'd come out there and he'd sing Georgia on my mind because my name, Atlanta, is Atlanta without the T's. Right. So in order to kind of go, oh, Atlanta, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, how, you know, so um, I hope your listeners don't. If they do and they lovingly call me Georgia, I will lovingly and happily respond um, because, again, it helps people remember my mother's pronunciation for my name, which is Alana. And um, 
And then, of course, my tie to both my both Coach Reed and my assistant track coach. They would start a little duet. I mean, they'd get to dancing and everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I lived in I lived in Atlanta for uh, about twenty years. So another oh, okay. connection we have is uh, to that. But nobody ever called me Georgia. Uh, <laughs> Now, also a couple shows back, we had uh, Jennifer Bridges and David Knorr on, um, and we were talking about David released a new book called Curve Benders, and Curve Benders is about those people who are in your life who make an impact that change the trajectory you're on. So we all have, I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of us have mentors, and, and they they're there, but some of those people are a little bit different, right? Not every relationship is created equal. And mm-hmm. some of them are curve benders. It sounds like Coach Reed for you was a curve bender. Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And the, uh, you know, before social media, it was kind of easy to lose people. But the minute I found him again, which has been maybe 10 years or so, uh, yeah, he can't get rid of me. So it's funny. And so we get to celebrate and live life together. Um, an incredible, incredible curve bender. And, and you know, in high school, uh, regarded when there's even when there's not a pandemic around is is a very uh life altering right that's a trajectory uh differentiator for most for most kids and for me I lost my mom um, my senior year in high school and so um I have another natural uh connection to him because he was there you know nurturing and encouraging me through probably one of the most difficult things that I've gone through yeah and, and interesting as well Jennifer had mentioned that uh, her dad was a coach and he was a curve bender as as a obviously as a dad but also a coach and one of the curve benders in my career is coach gold uh, who had coached my baseball team was my sport and been able to stay in touch with him over the years and uh, his grandson is now playing college baseball right so it's it's almost watching <laughs> me continue on through him and his family afterwards so that the impact of coaches and I bring this up because you're the third person where this conversation's come up and it's always been a coach that we we call out but professionally we don't utilize coaches it's a small population out there this acceptance of if I'm a professional I'm weak if I need a coach yeah. Yet when we were young and we were training and we were being in our formative years, we relied on our coaches and we see the impact that they've had with us. Mm-hmm. You've done coaching, right? I mean, what, how do you see in the professional world this acceptance of coaches compared to a curve bender like you've had with Coach Reed and the difference they made in your life? You know, you're right. I mean, there there's this there's this unfortunate stigma that says, you know, if I needed a coach, because the reality, people think that, well, if I couldn't figure it all out myself is why I relied on someone else. So self-reliance is the first trap that people fall into. So even in my coaching, and while there's, while there's, while there's different methodologies, even in my coaching, I incorporate mentoring because to me, while coach Reed was a coach had the title of a coach, he was, he was an amazing mentor. Mm -hmm. And to me over the years, my mentors, I've I've had some incredible mentors who didn't have, I guess, a coaching title or whatever, but I mean, their, their advice was tantamount for me. The, the example that they modeled was amazing for me. Um, Being the sounding board was amazing. And so what we find in the professional coaching world, because we seek out people to help guide us, we may not have that same connection with them that we would get with somebody that we're in a mentoring relationship with, because there is a slight distinction in how, or slight, sometimes even more slight, um, distinction of who our mentors are and how they pour into us. So we'll see along a lot of people's trajectories that their coaches and mentors, even in the project world, 
are those curve benders. They're people that have, um, you know, that have given them great professional advice um, that, and that advice has even transcended um, into, you know, into their, into their life. Um, mine in particular, while she's not in the project management profession, um, I literally, I, I rarely, I, I play back some tape and everything. I seldom talk about my career because I can't without mentioning my big curve bender, which is Paula Harris. And um, she was an incredible mentor to me uh, for most of my career. I could call her, ask her a question. Um, she was, she was a great, you know, supportive person and friend in my life. And it's, it's when we have those people that we take a look back and we try to recreate those with the coaches in our life. And that's important that we look for that, that we look for people that we can relate to and, and foster a relationship with. Yeah. I, I've mentioned frequently on, on the show and, and certainly in conversations with uh, peers that we often bring things to our children to get their unbiased opinion on things, right? Because they haven't had the life experiences and we'll say, so what do you think about this? And and they tell you, and, and usually it's pretty, oh, yeah. pretty straightforward. But what we don't do is we don't listen to ourselves when we were children. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll go to others. And as you're sitting here talking about the coaching and the mentoring, I'm just, I'm back to when I was 15 years old, listening to my coach in the dugout, tell me something and, and I, I can hear that message in my ear so clearly today, but I never would listen to it if we weren't having this conversation, right? It, so how do we as individuals, as adults now, become more accepting of this? And, and how do we, not uh, only of us going out to get mentoring, but how can we recognize that and become mentors and coaches for others? And again, I guess for me, the definition the difference rather between coaching and mentoring is one is more formal, right? And the mentoring could be maybe more in, right? Like I'm not going to call them specifically my, my mentor, but a coach right. usually yeah. will call that out. So a lot of same things happening there, but there, but there's a little bit of a difference. So how can we, how can we be a better coach? How can we be better mentors for others to ensure that we're not just focusing inward towards ourselves, right? But we're projecting outwards and helping those. You know, it's really making, it's, it's making ourselves available. It's sharing and we've got wonderful platforms. I mean, um, of, of sharing our, our lessons learned and our experiences, um, so that even, even in the, in the absence of, or in the formation of an actual one-on-one relationship that you're still being willing to share what you've learned. Um, and, you know, and then making yourself available for those follow-ups. I just had a, 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 coffee call with a gentleman the other day. He actually some time on my calendar and he had some questions and it was great because he was actually a college um, senior. He had some questions about project management. And so very often it's about making yourself available for that. And like, I, I keep myself available for a 15 minute chat for some, and, and that conversation may, you know, turn into something more. It may turn into, we have our own personal relationship. It may turn into a professional relationship where I coach and guide them through my coaching services. But, um, it's about, it's about making ourselves available and whichever platform that we have at our disposal, um, being, being available and then sharing those, uh, I had this conversation with myself the other day. I know we don't want to have too many conversations with ourselves, <laughs> but I was, I was thinking about the word failures. And when we share our failures and we share our, uh, you know, I say, you know what? I always have trouble with that because I don't feel like I had any failures. And I don't say that out of any piousness, but mm-hmm. I don't feel like anything that I've, that I've done wrong any of the missteps that I've had or the, or the, 
failings that I've had, they weren't failures. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the words just really matter when we when we talk about things like that. It was a failing. It was a, there was a lesson learned. I don't lose. I learn. And so there's something that really something really valuable that came from that. And we just have to have the humility and the willingness to want to share that with other people. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that last point. I think it was about a week or two ago, I had posted out on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm so tired of hearing people talk about failing fast, and we should start oh, calling yeah, it, it, we should start calling it learn fast, right? Yeah. It, let's, <laughs> let's not say we failed. I mean, it's, it's an immediate negative spin to it, right? That we're, right. we didn't achieve what we wanted to, but we actually learned something which helps us achieve the outcome mm-hmm. we want. Uh, I want to go back to something that you had brought up a little bit earlier about the IQ and the EQ, because not all of our listeners are probably familiar with those terms and and truly understand where we can get benefit and growth personally out of those. Can you talk a little bit more about IQ and EQ and, and help us understand a little bit more about that? Yeah, happily. Um, you know, so our IQ, we grow up hearing about our IQ because we either we, we, we get tested and, you know, we feel that, oh, we'll take an IQ test. And what is my IQ? This is my intellectual quotient. And it is it is slightly I won't call it controversial, but it is one indication of our ability to think critically of, of how smart we are. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many of us that have entered into the project profession from a technical background, um, which I, I laugh is, is very often. And, you know, we see a lot more functional project management, which is awesome. But for the longest time, a PM was somebody that rose in the technical ranks. And the next thing was they got a tap on the shoulder. Hey, you were so great at, you know, standing up those servers are so great at, you know, rolling out the software that, you know, we want you to be a project manager. Okay, so it was the accidental career, Mm -hmm. but they got there because they had demonstrated high IQ. Well, but we know that what we need to lead teams and to lead ourselves isn't so much our IQ. It doesn't go out the door, but it's our EQ, our emotional quotient, our emotional intelligence. And our EQ is a measure of our emotional intelligence. You'll hear EQ and EI used interchangeably. But the idea there is it's your ability to recognize emotions and your ability to manage those emotions for yourself and for others around you. And certainly your ability to build relationships and to demonstrate empathy. And as you mentioned, we talked earlier about um, after the murder of George Floyd is just one example, just because I hadn't used the word empathy more in um, a six week period than I did after that. Um, And it's about how we demonstrate our emotional intelligence for others by listening empathically by listening to understand, seeking first to understand, then to be understood. Mm -hmm. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a book about growing emotional intelligence before the term was coined. Mm. So it's really about having those, you know, leading with those life principles that allow you to just be an effective you around other people. Yeah, and in the project management world, I, I think it's so important that we we think about this. We've had Dr. Berber Troutline on talking about EQ as well, and Ruth Pierce uh, and Catherine Halpin and, and several others, um, Steve Fulmer, uh, that talk about this. And we leading teams have to know that each of the team members are individuals, right? They're, they're, it's not just one heartbeat, right? It, yeah. We're trying to create one heartbeat, right, to be able to work together, but we can't treat each person the same. Mm-hmm. And if we don't focus on and start learning the um, the skills and techniques with emotional intelligence 
it doesn't matter how much analytical intelligence we have, right? Because yeah. we're not going to be able to lead those teams. Are there any tips or techniques or tricks or I don't know what we would call it that that you can share with listeners about EQ that, that can get them thinking down that path more and maybe ways that they can assess their own capabilities along that, uh, that thinking? Uh, yeah, so there's there's EQ 2.0 or you know the most emotional intelligence 2.0. Um, I'm a, a member of and um, love the resources of sixseconds.org. Um, mm. It's a it's a it's it's an emotional intelligence consortium, if you will, um, where uh, with 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 amazing emotional intelligence thought leaders sharing great, uh, they have lots of video content. Um, so that's a, that's a really, really valuable resource, uh, for, you know, for more emotional intelligence content, and then being able to raise your own, uh, self-awareness of what your emotional intelligence is using either the assessment that I've mentioned or, um, just the varying assessments that are on the market. I don't, I'm, I'm pretty platform agnostic when it comes to things like that. And here's the thing. So much of what we've learned about ourselves, we learn by just sitting down and shutting up. Mm. <laughs> Quite frankly, if we just if we sit down, reflect, and have some introspection, think about interactions, think about feedback. Going back even to the IQ side, we collect data all the time. I'm very purpose driven, but I'm also very data driven. And oftentimes, the data that I can collect is how did someone respond? How did I make someone feel when I did X? And when I stop and I think about that data and I can translate that into actions and actionable steps that I could and should take, maybe where that person is concerned, because that individual heartbeat, you know, what, how might I, how might I um, address that the next time? So yeah. really sitting with ourselves. Uh, and I've uh, been out to sixseconds.org as well. And, and that is a great site. We try to be platform agnostic as well, unless they want to pay for a sponsorship. But uh, <laughs> right. but for the most part, we, we'd certainly like to share tools out there that can help everybody uh, that we have found good success with. And, and six seconds is I get their frequent newsletters and emails mm-hmm. that come across as well. So it is a good resource. Thanks for bringing that up. Well, we are winding down. It's amazing how quickly I say this every show. I think it's amazing how quickly these shows go. Uh, and we get to learn so much about our guests and and get mentored. I, I take each of these as a individual mentoring session for me and our listeners that, you know, Georgia, we get to hear uh, uh, your backstory. And, you know, for me, we want to learn about the people and project management, not so much the technical skills, because there's associations out there doing that all day long and given certifications. But what we learned from you today is, you know, you can be a woman in the oil and gas industry and be successful. We can understand the impactful uh, nature of diversity and why that matters and how that can make a difference in our lives, not just for us, but with us, with others. Uh, and certainly the evolution of coaches and the importance of coaches within your life, right? So all of those things are about you, the person. And, and I just want to thank you for sharing all of those with us. And, and making sure that we're looking at the humanity and reality of project management and not just the technical side of it. So, Alana, I also want to just give you an opportunity here to share any last thoughts that maybe we didn't get to today. Also, let the listeners know how they can be in touch with you if they want to learn more about you. So I'll give it back to you. Some last thoughts is, is look at... Um 
I always love to remind people that unity is not equal uniformity. And when you're looking at uh, creating a harmonious team, understand that that's going to come from the different sounds that they make, the different values that they have, the different skills that they have. And you get to put that together. You get to be the one that orchestrates that. And what a mighty, mighty privilege that that is. And so I just really wanted to encourage people to walk in that privilege and understand um, what a what a high calling that leadership is and to uh, take it seriously and, and learn up about it as much as you can, as much as you would about any technical project management skill. Study and be as proficient as you can in those leadership skills because that, after all, is what is bringing the people together to make these outcomes a reality. I look forward to connecting with you all in my Engineered for Purpose uh, group. And you can find me on engineeredforpurpose.com. And that is the website that actually takes you directly to my coaching program. I have free consultations on my website. Hop on a call and uh, let's see how I can help guide you towards establishing your purpose and using that to root and ground you in all of the things that you are set to accomplish in your life and in your career. Um, I thank you for having me on here, Joe. And I just wanted to say all the best to Josh as he serves our country. And, and thanks to you and your family and the sacrifice that you'll be making in doing that. Because one last little thing, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Air Force brat, kind of. Ah, okay. So uh, <laughs> I say kind of. <laughs> so have a great appreciation for those serving in our military. And, and thank you to your son. Oh, thank you. And, and certainly he didn't want to go the easy route. So he didn't go in the Air Force. Uh, he wanted to work hard. And so he went towards the Navy. I'll let he and my dad figure to hash that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and certainly, Alana, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate it. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners, right? We know if we don't have listeners, we don't actually have a show. So thank you to them. And for everybody, please go out and visit projectmanagementofficehours.com. You can check out all of our past shows and our upcoming guests. And we do have an all-star lineup coming up. Uh, our next show will be with TED speaker Danielle Torley. Then we're following that with uh, Hamotal White and Daniel Zitter from Israel. We then get the father of the project economy, Antonio Nieto Rodriguez. And then we have our first guest coming on from Vietnam, Karsten Lay. So we have some great guests upcoming. And of course, we celebrate all the guests we've had on in the past because we all learn so much from each one of you. Reminder that these shows are recorded, and please be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your podcast platform of choice. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. That's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe. And you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.